Hello and welcome to the ET PhD team podcast, the podcast here to help you with your relationship with food and body by giving you evidence-based techniques to support yourself with a sprinkling of feminism, a dash of dismantling diet culture and a side of vulnerability as we share our own messy lives with you. I'm Emilia, a registered nutritionist and PhD with the sole purpose of making your life happier and healthier. If you love it, please do go wild and share it. And if you're ready for support with our coaching, details are in the show notes. Hello and welcome to episode number 130. Anna, you just pulled the funniest face (laughs) when I was saying that and you just screwed up like a little ball. I don't know what you were doing. Welcome (laughs) to to episode 130 of the ATMHGT podcast with myself and Anna. Hi Anna, how are you? (laughs) Better than I look apparently. (laughs) It was like you just swallowed something sour. Uh, A massive chunk of ice from my not very well blended iced decaf coffee. That'll be what it was. It was a good look. Um, <laughs> um, hi, Lynn. How are you? Yeah. I'm good. I'm good. Good. Have we got anything exciting news? Um, I'm just going to big myself up. I did my presentation like a big, brave girl, and it's done. And I well can done. breathe a massive sigh of relief. Congratulations. You can tick that one off. Was it absolutely fine? It was absolutely fine. It was absolutely fine. Right. Yeah. Who, who knew that, I mean, when I have a topic that I know about and I, I can actually talk about it, crazy madness. I know. We have to do these things. Well, I've just had a, 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 the day of an independent woman where I got to, I need to, I need to get my nails done because, you know, we've got, I've got this big event at the weekend, so I can't present with chipped nails. Obviously, my mum would have my guts for garters. So I went to get my nails done at lunchtime and it was 12.30 and I was like, I've definitely got time. It's a 10 minute drive away. I've definitely got time before podcast at two o'clock. And then it was taking quite a long time, quite a long time. And I was like, I'm just going to manifest this. It's going to be fine. And so she was doing my nails and I kept looking at the clock and I was like, got closer and closer to the time that I had to leave. And she said, oh, do you want us to start the car? I said, no, no, I've got a meeting. Anyway, I managed to jump in my car, drive home, get through the door at 1.58, keeping in mind someone had stupidly parked in front of my driveway which is hard enough like my driveway I have to reverse into and it's really narrow it's like got brick wall on either side and um it's hard enough anyway but when someone even remotely parks in front of it it's just like it's a bolly but I managed to do that quickly first time round the front round the car into my driveway in through the door 158 made a hot chocolate and was on time for the podcast and I feel like that is an accomplishment of the day need to know what kettle you've got for, for that to be that quick <laughs> uh, that, yeah no well I don't well it only takes one minute to boil a kettle not even does it um, it feels like I don't, I, I, yeah. I don't have a, an electric kettle I use the hob so I do have to wait a long long time that's so <laughs> but, but, but aesthetically it looks great so that's all that matters <laughs> well that's the price that is the price you pay for an aesthetic kettle I don't care mine is ugly and it's but... my meditation time so I mean it's a it's a double whammy really okay it? does it whistle but you definitely yeah oh yeah. That's so cute. <laughs> that is cute but I do remember when we went camping and the camper van and it was one of those kettles and it was lovely and cute and aesthetic but also it was very slow yeah but you manifestation manifesting that worked like a dream I do feel like that I also had a rage this morning so we're not going to go back into Roe versus Wade because we talked about this yesterday or in the last podcast um but 
I was sent this reel last night from a white man with a podcast um, who had a woman who doesn't often have women on his podcasts, um, but when he does have women on his podcast, in general, what I've heard is from them is that they are very problematic. And yesterday he had posted a reel on his Instagram of the clip of the podcast, and it was a woman who was saying, what makes me really angry is when sex workers um, claim to be feminists, but then get angry when their boss asks for a blowjob. You can't, like she said, if you're going to call sex work work, then you have to expect your boss to call you to, to ask for a blowjob or to put his hand on your arse or whatever. You can't. Oh, totally, it. totally okay. Yeah, totally, totally, totally the same, right? Not only is that, like, I obviously immediately commented rage, like, yeah, I can't, like, I've said something like, I can't believe as adults in 2022 we're having a debate about consent. But then I also then realized, like, my friend was talking about, it and she was like, that's purely just clickbait. What he's done is he's posted it and then not commented, not debated it, but just sat back and watched everyone going wild and he said well I didn't agree with it I didn't comment I didn't say anything so it's not my fault and it's like this is so problematic this is this is like the the epitome of what people do for engagement where they, they're like well it's nothing to do with me I just put it out there that was just her opinion opinion and didn't say anything and it's like you put that video out there on the weekend where Roe versus Wade has just been overturned and you think it's appropriate to then put out this this anti anti women podcast and then say oh no it's it's fine i'm so sick of not all white men with podcasts putting out dating advice putting out feminist advice shit like this and we've got young 20 year old men like listening to this stuff and picking up and thinking well this guy's really fit and this guy's really eloquent and very smart because usually these podcast hosts are pretty eloquent and pretty smart that's why they've got big podcasts and often they're good looking and then you've got this 20 year old boy who's listening to this and this you're right we can't call sex work work and if we do have sex workers that are calling it work then they deserve just to be like we can expect blowjobs from them and we can if we work with them and it's like I, I actually can't understand the audacity that's why this morning I put a thing on my Instagram story about the audacity of not all white men with podcasts because I it's unfathomable to me that free speech is important but sometimes free speech is apps is the speech is so stupid that it shouldn't be free speech I had a disagreement with a woman this week who was Okay, I've now found out she was literally doing that, like just fishing for engagement and people to just, you know, get involved. But she, and like, she's not well known, but she had this story thing of being like, uh, funny how everyone's jumping on the Roe versus Wade in Ireland and the UK. Uh, Didn't hear them talking about when we were uh, doing the referendum and repeal the eighth, which was the, the law that we repealed years ago to allow abortions in Ireland. And I was like, okay, well, Number one, it's very different to what's happening here. We didn't have them before. We were advocating to have them. And number two, this isn't a America don't care about us. Like, what? Like, why is this your problem? And her argument the whole time was, I'm just saying, like, America don't care about what's happening in the rest of the world. And I was like, okay, maybe they don't, but they're they're absolutely huge. Like, there are states in America with more people than our whole country. Mm. So you're gonna have other nations attempting to follow suit and thinking this is okay this isn't a america versus ireland thing like this is literally 
a war on women. And she was like, well, we couldn't have abortions here and now we can. So like America didn't care about that. And I was like, okay, but if we had an ectopic pregnancy, if you or I had one, our hospitals would allow that end. Like they would medically remove that and ensure that our safety was was upheld. That's now taken away from people in America, but it just went straight over her head. So I had to just stop talking to her because it was getting me really angry. Sometimes you just have to take a step back and go, this is not help. This isn't like when you, what's the, there's a saying that's like if if there's there's no way of you changing someone's mind, there's no point in arguing with them. That like I have seen that argument. It's like first of all, do you know if these people said anything at the time? Because did you see them at the time? They may well have done. But also, surely when we're fighting for this, it kind of covers everyone. Yes, we're talking about it right now because the states has millions of people in it um so it affects millions and millions of more people but also if we're talk, if we're bringing it to the surface that's important it doesn't matter which country it is and like you said Lynn, it is different because it's saying we are taking this right away from you as women and that's a, that's a scary precedent um but yeah i mean i'm glad you said something <laughs> love a wee internet argument it's me i wasn't just gonna sit there <laughs> I'm glad, I'm glad you didn't send it to me. Although it would have been no, God, no, 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 you would have torn her to shreds. <laughs> oh, well, we, we have to save ourselves for the battles that matter. And that does sound like one that mattered, at least initially. Um, okay, let's crack on with the questions. Um, Anna, do you want to go first? Mm-hmm. Uh, how to deal with being stressed or emotional leading to eating wrong things? There are no wrong things. <laughs> Let's get that one right in. Um, I think the, the answer is in the question. What's amazing is that you know it's because you're stressed. Stress and emotional isn't, isn't granular. And what I mean by that is we often use stress as like an umbrella term for something else, maybe overwhelmed, maybe um, irritable, maybe frustrated, maybe uncertain we use it as kind of like an umbrella term. And what's important is that we recognize it actually what it is that we feel. So um, if you're working with Anna, she will, if she hasn't already introduced you to the feelings wheel, where you can, like the feelings wheel is basically a way to improve your granularity. Because when you improve your granularity, you improve your ability to recognize and name your emotions. And even just naming your emotions, there's some evidence that that actually helps you regulate them. So we want to make sure, first of all, that we name them exactly as they are. Um, and so when you say emotional it's like what what does that mean to you so that is the first thing trying to start getting more comfortable with naming your emotions and you can do that through journaling or in the moment or in conversations with Anna when we do our check-ins it's one of the reasons we ask for five different feeling words so that you start to think about those specific feelings um and then meeting those needs right it's it's I know that in the moment it's really tough and taking a pause is very important. And, and I know that one of you guys will probably talk about this in a sec, but like figuring out how to meet that feeling of stress or overwhelm or irritability outside of food. And you can think about it like if you say you're stressed, what, what helps you with stress? Maybe it is going to the gym, maybe it's going for a walk. But if it's feelings of overwhelm, then it might actually be making a list doing some specific work, turning your phone off and actually taking action. You can see how those are two very, very different things. But if you just are classing it all as one feeling, you might not be able to meet that need. So uh, my advice is to work on that side of things. 
Yeah, I would say the same. And as you said, with the, the pause and something one of my clients struggled with was being able to identify exactly what she was feeling. But even just saying it out loud, like no matter what was going on, saying like, I'm overwhelmed and I'm feeling stressed. And even just saying it out loud was giving her that pause to then be like, I, I don't need food right now. I, I need something else. But she was creating that space for herself to be like, OK, now I can try and figure out what I actually need. And I know it's not food, so I'm just not going to go there straight away. It's detaching the immediate response of I'm feeling something that's making me uncomfortable. I'm going to suppress it with food and just creating that that space to allow yourself to kind of, as you said, take a breath and calm a little bit and then say, OK, yeah, I'm, I'm not just stressed. I'm, I'm overwhelmed and I'm overwhelmed because of this situation. And this is what I know will make me feel better. And just creating that 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 space. Mm-hmm. I think. Lynn, I think you said this on a previous podcast as well, when we've talked about stress and emotional eating and kind of also thinking past the food and how you'd feel. Is is that feeling still going to be there after you've had the food? Yes, it might. Food might give you kind of that temporary comfort, but I say the problem, the feeling's still going to be there. And, and like you said, like you both said, it's it's the management in the moment and and the long-term management as well and I mean I love the feelings wheel but also just going to put out because I know other people get on just as well with um the mood meter as well it's a I find it much easier to read um so have a google of that it's I think Mark Brackett permission to feel um the the guy that wrote that um yeah, I, I like the mood meter as well and just help to explore some feelings. Have you actually read that book? Yeah. Did, yeah. Or you said recommend I, it? Yeah, I, I loved it. I first heard him on on Looking Us, um, Brene's podcast. And it was, when did, she started the podcast in 2020, didn't she? Um, and it was kind of like the first <laughs> maybe month or two into um, lockdown. And I was like, always hit the nail on quite a few heads <laughs> just might might have to explore what else he's got to say yeah he's very good but I haven't read the book so maybe I should add it to my list mm. yes I do I do like it okay noted okay Lent question what to do when values clash so family connection and friendship are really important to me and high on my list work is an important value but not as important as it used to be and at the moment, not in my top five values. But it takes, a hu- it takes up a huge amount of time and commitment in my life. With my area of work, I can't just close the laptop at a certain time. I have to get certain tasks done each day. So it ends up taking away from values I would like to spend more time on. I already have dropped hours, which has only meant that I'm now staying later for less money. And I can't drop more as we rely on my income as for family. Do you know what? I think this is something that's not spoken about enough. People are like, live in line with your values. Just live in line with your values. I can't all the time. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, no, that's easy for you to say when you work for yourself and you don't have dependents and you're financially stable. And like, it's really, I think it's a privileged place, I think, to say always 100% living in line with your values. Um, so in that situation sometimes it is a case of sort of having to say you need to do what you need to do for work and you you'll never find us saying well just quit your job or just like <laughs> speak to your boss and I'm sure they'll understand you like you you won't um so I think it really is about acceptance of the stuff that you can change 
accept some of the stuff that you can't change and if you can't change the way that your work is then that is the way that your work is and what you need to do is then think about okay well what is my time like outside of that am I making sure that my boundaries are tight on that so am I making sure that I'm not letting work infiltrate into other parts of my life or am I actually coming home and then moaning about work to my partner or frustrated in front of my kids because I'm tired or am I checking my email at the weekend and things like that where those are things you can control and checking in on that because when that then starts to infiltrate into your other values then that that will be more problematic and we can actually manage that with our own actions and thoughts um and then again just maximizing that time of like okay well what's really important to you and how are you going to make that work in the time outside of work I think what can be helpful too is trying to frame your work in terms of your what your values are important so for example um what did she say her keep core values were there did she say family connection and friendship are like the top three right so think about your family and how doing that work is impacting your family you are a breadwinner for your family if not the, the main breadwinner I don't know um so you're providing for your family now that might not show up that might not be showing up in the way that you think family values should show up in but you are working to allow you to put food on the table and have a family dinner that is that is you working in line with your values um and I think trying to frame it like that even connection like connection doesn't cost money but there are certain things about connection with other people that does and or maybe at work is there anyone that you are you kind of in work and frustrated all the time and not actually bonding with people because you're like well these are not my people and this is work and I'm stressed or is an opportunity there to actually connect with some different people and get to know people and have different conversations and I think trying to reframe the situation just a little bit is probably quite helpful I have nothing to add I was going to say about reframing and then you yeah smashed it so I'll yeah, leave it there <laughs> well, I'll just add sorry um but you had said about connection at work and this person has a job where she meets different people various times and sees people like uh, across a period of time and she does make great connections at work with the people that she sees um and I think as you said reframing that to be like this is actually I can align work and connection as a, a positive here will, will really help her great great okay my question do you think that there's a correlation between feeling good and that snowballing and doing nice things for yourself I'm obviously feeling great and notice that I'm more consistently doing things that I can neglect like proper skincare even late at night when I'm tired keeping on top of washing clothes not myself etc I don't know whether this is general summer vibes or feeling like I'm more worthy I guess in some way of doing extra things for myself thinking back to your to your emails <laughs> because that, that rings about but no I think most definitely when you feel good about yourself you want to take care of yourself um and it does just feel easier more natural um particularly if you're believing that you're that you're worthy of it as well mm. yeah I mean we say that quite a lot don't we we say if, if you don't feel good then start treating yourself or you don't feel worthy or you don't feel does it feel natural to treat yourself well do it anyway and then the feelings will begin to come and it's sort of that but 
the other way around in that you already do feel worthy and it's the same as like how do you how do you treat a partner that you've just met that you're completely besotted with that feels amazing every time you see them you are super thoughtful you're always cheerful when you're around them you have tons of sex you make them coffee in bed in the morning you do all the nice stuff because you're like they are worthy of this like they make me feel good or like they feel good not in the physical sense although maybe hopefully um and so you treat them in that way right so it's the same sort of vibe of like if you yeah the more work you do on yourself where you feel worthy or even just feeling good about yourself doesn't matter what that what that reason is for feeling good the more likely you are to do these things and I'm always pleased to hear someone that's on top of washing their clothes and themselves actually neither of which I feel like I am (laughs) on top of these days so quite jealous (laughs) oh slight tangent I mean we know my track record with remembering things when I'm having to get changed at the gym and it's not I mean it's not great (laughs) let's be honest but this morning I was like I've nailed it absolutely nailed it like I had my makeup bag I had deodorant and dry shampoo so I didn't have to (laughs) double down on one um like clean well I thought clean underwear but I didn't bring a a new bra so I had to put a sweaty sports bra back on really grim (laughs) not gonna lie that's unfortunate so close although could you not just go braless or is that like there seems to be some two camps with here people that are like yeah braless and the others that are like (laughs) I, I'm, I'm, I'm quite happy to, but because I was going to my course, I was like, mm, not, not sure on those people how that would go down. Okay. So, okay. yeah. Well, that's upsetting. Although I, I, would, I would still rather offend Brenda, of course, than wear space. I think it depends on the top you're putting on as well, doesn't it? Like if you have a looser top on, it's nearly more obvious that you're braless yeah because like, i mean you can top. see you can see it's loose it was not gonna it was that's what i'm thinking yeah, but i'm like yeah i probably would have swayed more to the sweaty <laughs> even though that literally makes me gag if it was really sweaty i'm like oh god i was like oh this is sad times guys sad times <laughs> <laughs> oh okay well we're all disgusting Lena, I think probably with that. um anna question <laughs> yes going to aim this slightly more at Lynn um so this client we have been I mean she's so mindful when eating and she is 14 weeks out from the London Marathon and is struggling with longer runs and appetite because she says she's not feeling hungry enough pre-run and post-run and then finds the day after mega hungry um, and just yeah advice on on either what to eat or how to manage uh thoughts around um, it you're opening the floodgates for me to just talk about running for the foreseeable but I'm here for it um okay yeah that's very common um the a lot of people won't eat too much before a run purely because of the impacts it can have on a run so I would start working on your like pre pre run nutrition so depending on the time of day she's running at so I don't know when she runs do you know what time uh, it was after, afternoon this week <laughs> it's, okay, afternoon it's normally afternoon week. evening so breakfast would want to be like quite high in carbs um early on so if, if you're running in the afternoon time like start with having a really 
have carb heavy breakfast to help fuel for that because it'll still be in your body later on and then beforehand having your usual pre-run I suppose like I'm not going to go throwing out food suggestions but whatever you would normally have pre-run have anyway but make breakfast a lot heavier afterwards is kind of not where the problem arises but fueling afterwards you're not going to be hungry for especially if it's quite a long run like because your body is more fixated on you like literally not collapsing to the floor and recovering so you're kind of going to be a bit more like I'm not hungry I'd rather not I just want to lie down you could even feel a little bit sick in terms of like you know I don't know what I want and that's when you've gone past hunger so instead of looking at what you're eating afterwards what are you doing in your run to fuel throughout the run because if you're fueling throughout the run then you'll be able to have something small afterwards but not be completely depleted of food so is she having stuff during the run like energy gels or serene bars or like is she bringing stuff with her on the run that's something I would look at um and as well it's good training for the day like getting your body used to it like if you're just starting off with those energy gels you need to like really get your body used to them or you're genuinely doing a polar ride cliff in the middle of the road somewhere and um, so like <laughs> you know, like a quarter or a half of an energy gel every so often to really get yourself used to it in loads of water. Um, and that's what I would look at. The hunger the day after a long run, extremely normal because your, your stress levels in your body from doing the long endurance have started to settle and you're a bit kind of more recovered than you were initially when you got back. So it's very normal then for your body to be like, I'm absolutely ravenous. So honor that hunger then because essentially it is storing carbs and food again for the next run that you're going to go out on. Um, but the unfortunate thing with running is it's very much trial and error, but I would recommend a much heavier breakfast with carbs to like load up on them and ensuring that she is fueling properly throughout her run. So you're talking about 30 to 60 grams of carbs every hour if she's doing like an over two hour run. So she could split that into having something small, like a little mini serene half an hour in or every 45 minutes into a run to get carbs on while she's running to prevent the to prevent her not eating enough afterwards and being able to recover. Yeah, I don't have a huge amount to add other than I think sometimes we can overthink the need for it to be like peri, peri run, peri train, whatever. I think if you're really hungry the day after, great, like you said, then honour it because then it kind of doesn't make up for, but you're you're not working on like a daily basis of energy. You are, it's fluctuating. So there will be days where you have more and some days that you have slightly less and that's totally fine. The main time that you want to be, like you want to practice nutrition, like Lynn was saying with your runs, because your gut is adaptable. And even if you think, oh, well, carbs during it make me feel sick, they're going to make you feel sicker at the time. So you need to train your gut. And that's what athletes do. They will train their gut through this process. Um, so yes, really, really do focus on that. But don't worry too much about are your carbs coming in straight away after your training run or are you getting them actually a few hours later when you're a bit hungrier or at breakfast the next morning? It doesn't hugely matter. Um, my other th- point is, Lynn, did you eat those gels? Yeah, I was when Lynn was talking about gels. I was like, "Oh, what's your face doing?" <laughs> they taste like spunk. Oh, I'm so glad you said it because I was going to say literally because I obviously trained with my partner. I'll never forget the first time we had one. Oh God, I'm so glad. I hope he doesn't listen to this or any of his friends. But anyway, the first time we had one, he like stopped mid run and looked at me and was like, "Is that like?" I feel like that's like is it and I, I was like crying laughing trying not to die and trying not to wet myself at the same time but I was like yeah they're pretty awful aren't they and he was like 
Jesus Christ, this is horrific. <laughs> the point is too is that they're they're, they're, they're flavored. Yeah, they're, they are flavored. Yeah, like we don't get the flavor unless someone's been eating a lot of pineapple. Although I don't know if that's an urban myth because I don't think I've ever actually experienced that. But yeah, common. But yeah, yeah. No, those gels are awful. But I remember coming back. Where was it? I came back from my dad's, I think. And I brought home a big serene, like not the, the lunchbox ones, like a, pro- no, it wasn't. So the race was in Belfast. We stopped at a shop and I was getting, um, and this actually will tie back into your client, Anna. You know, those um, juices, oh, my brain, you know, the, they're green and red and they're smoothie things. I can't think of the name. Oh, innocent. Yeah. No, not innocent. No. The other ones. Oh, the juice. Uh, Anyway, so the ones that you get in the shops anyway, they're smoothie things. I found they were quite good to have as like a beforehand nearly so that you're not getting really hungry because you're just drinking a juice, but you're getting loads of carbs. But anyway, stopped in a garage, got them and found this like huge, I can't show you, but like huge serene bar. And I was like, oh my God, that'll be so good. And I had that the morning of the marathon and I am attributing my marathon to that. Serene bar. <laughs> so, yeah, I would say, I would say you want to be like, the good thing about the spunk is that it's fiber free. Or it's very low in fiber and you mm. do need to be you, well it's lower in fiber than sorry no yeah but if you're if you're not well trained for them and I mean like she's 14 weeks out like if you're going to have them gels start now to get trained like if you're not it it goes straight through you like there is there is no time for pausing like you're as you said you need to train your gut so your gut is literally like what are you putting inside me get out like no uh, see gone. my gut would be fine be like seen this before just come on listen question why and how did a number on the scales become so important that it can determine my mood and self-worth i'm working on this relationship with the scales but i'm keen to hear more about reasons behind it this is the client that i was talking about on my story yesterday with noticing how she feels before she steps on the scales and then comparing it to the number and what that number would have made her feel so Mm. that was a great story um I did watch that one um there's lots of reasons what the, the the important thing is to say like what does scale weight mean to me and actually get curious about it so it might be and for a lot of people scale weight is a marker we have made it a proxy marker of success of achievement um of moving towards our goals because at some point it has been or at some point we've listened to society that says scale weight going down is is, is what, what we should all want and so when scale weight goes up it's like oh i'm failing every time you step on it and it goes up i failed I failed i failed so that might be one reason um the other reason is what we talk about all the time is this internalized weight bias that we have that says, well, my scale weight's going up. That means I'm getting bigger. What does being bigger mean? It means that I'm going to be less successful. It means that I'm going to be less lovable. It means that I'm, I'm going to be less attractive. And so you might be having those thoughts in your head when every time you step on the scales. So those are two examples, but there are many other things that you will have attached scale weight to mean. And so you kind of have to work on unpicking them and getting curious for yourself. And, and when you do step on the scales, think, and you feel a certain way, ask yourself, like, look for that granularity again. Like, what is this feeling? And then do some journaling. Like, what does that mean to me? So what does that mean to me? So what does that mean to me? Repeating it over and over until you get to the point where you go, oh, I realize now that that means whatever it is that comes out. 
Okay. If you could give some advice for someone at the start of their journey, what would you say? <laughs> that was such a long pause. Um, hmm. I think, welcome friend and well done. You've taken a, <laughs> this is gonna sound really patronizing. I was gonna say a big brave step, but I, <laughs> I, I know, I hear it now, but, <laughs> but it is like, whenever we speak to, clients on the phone in that initial consult call we know that it is really scary to I mean I, I think we're all great and lovely people but even just reaching out and taking that first step is huge and you've done that now and now yes potentially it's going to be a little bit uncomfortable during the process but it's also really freaking exciting um, so lean into that side a bit more and, and just know that you're in safe hands yeah and, and my big one would be like, be patient because a lot of people that come to us are used to previously getting the result they think they want in a very short space of time. And it's quite a tangible result that they get. Whereas these aren't as, as obvious results. And it could be weeks or months down the line where you're like, oh, I thought differently about that. Or, oh, I don't feel the same way as I used to, or that doesn't trigger me anymore. And it's just about being patient and not playing the long game because it doesn't have to be a long game, but I think the more you open yourself up to it and you're like accepting that, okay, this isn't going to be as straightforward as I thought it was going to be. This isn't going to be do this this week and this that week and follow ticking off all these boxes. Like that's not what you're signing up for. You're signing up for like exploring yourself and finding yourself more. So just be prepared for it, perhaps not going the way you envisioned it going straight away because there is no straight road and the more you're kind of accepting of that, not the easier it'll be, because I'm not saying it's easy, but the more it will all kind of fall into place. Mm -hmm. I agree. I would also say enjoy the process. This is the idea of healing your relationship with food is that food never has to be an issue for you anymore and that your body doesn't have to be an issue for you anymore. And it, like you said, Lynn, it, it can take a while or, or not for some other people, but you don't want to waste the whole time worrying and getting stressed and feeling like you're not doing things right because this is your life and part of healing your relationship with food and body is that you you feel the joy more and that you live more and that you socialize more and just do more fun things and so keep it in perspective of this is here to support your life to not to take over your life and when you have tiny little wins where you go oh I realized I didn't I actually said yes to that dinner out even though I hadn't planned it because I really wanted to go and I just went out and had dinner like huge win embrace it celebrate every win that you get where you go oh that's that's life-changing that little ability to say oh I don't need to plan my meals out in advance anymore and I can just do it guilt-free like that's life-changing and and so enjoy it it's not yes there will be times where it feels quite heavy and yes there'll be times where it feels quite hard and frustrating and all of the feelings but it's your life and at no point do we ever want you to feel that your food is your life because it's not it's just a small part of it um so yeah enjoy 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 it's fun 
most of the time. Promise, promise. We swear. <laughs> How can I tackle my conflicting goals of wanting to find food freedom with negative body image slash fear of gaining weight? They're not two different things. When you find food freedom, you find a more positive body image. Like, I think that's the thing. You're tying your body image to the size of your body. But if you look at the research, you look at the thousands of people we've worked with, all of that, the science, all of that tells us that the healthier your relationship with food, the better your body image. And often the healthier relationship with food, the lower the BMI, not, not consistently, but like a healthy BMI comes with a healthiest relationship with food as a whole. So, so don't think about them as separate things. In your head, it feels separate. In your head, it feels like food freedom means weight gain. It doesn't. Food freedom means um, weight gain, therefore poorer body image. It doesn't. Um, it means the opposite. So you, you have to work through that in your head of that's a lie that you've told yourself or diet culture has kind of shoved into you. Totally understandable. We hear it all the time. But you need to unpick that and kind of accept that that's not actually the truth. And know that the more work you do on your relationship with food, the more likely you are to have a better body image. They are consistently associated in thousands of research papers and thousands of people that we've worked with. And I would say prove it to yourself. Allow yourself food freedom. Make choices that align with your goals and then see how you feel about yourself and about your body. Because if you're sitting there like not allowing yourself food freedom and beating yourself up for eating certain things or not allowing certain things into your life. And of course you're going to feel crappy because it's, it's going to spiral. So allow yourself the freedom. You don't have to have it, but you're allowing yourself the freedom. You can actually say, I could have it if I wanted to. I'm choosing not to because it doesn't align with my goal. And instantly you'll feel more empowered because you are owning your own choices and having that autonomy over your journey. Okay, question. Dealing with drinking and food choices when out with friends and family who might not understand the journey, for example, older generations who finish all the food in their plate and younger generations that assume a meal out means drinks and desserts, etc. even if that isn't in line with your current goals, how can I still turn up to these events and not feel the social pressure to fit in? They don't have to finish everything. They don't have to not finish everything on their plate. They don't have to have not have desserts. They don't have to not have alcohol. I think recognizing that your journey is your journey, their journey is their journey. And it's not a problem that they're not on the same journey as you like that. They are right to do what is right for them. And that might be finishing everything on their plate and it might be having drinks and dessert or it might be having a salad. Everyone's priorities are different. And I think, first of all, accepting that and then accepting that you have a choice. You have a choice to do what's right for you or you have a choice to... I suppose, try and fit in. I think the thing is, is when you make decisions to try and fit in, you're not doing anyone any favours. You're not doing yourself a favour because how do you feel when you make decisions to fit in? You feel resentful, you feel annoyed, you feel irritated and you come home and you're like, oh, why did I do that? No one at that dinner table is saying, oh, I'm so glad, I'm so glad that she had dessert. No, because nobody really cares. Even if they say something at the time, they've forgotten about it within five seconds. When you make the decision to do that, you literally are helping nobody. Unless you really want the dessert and it's delicious, then have the dessert, of course. So I think recognising that and then recognising like 
why do you feel that belonging comes from copying other people and without going too much into Brene she obviously talks about belonging quite a lot and how we think that belonging is saying what needs to be said to fit in we think that belonging comes from trying to fit in but what belonging actually comes from is being our true authentic selves and connecting from that place think about it if let's use like a dating analogy say I date someone and I keep out of like their understanding of the fact that I'm quite weird and that I'm a raging feminist right so we get to know each other and I know that there's a big part of me that they have no idea about how how much faith do you think that I'm going to have in them loving me for who I am I'm not going to trust them at all to love me because they don't actually know me at all so why would how could I know that they would love me then I'll feel insecure then I won't trust them I won't feel a sense of connection and I won't feel a sense of belonging because I'm not being my total self so how can they love someone that they don't even know exists how can they connect with someone that they've got a half version of someone they can't and it's the same in this situation of like how can you expect to belong in that space when you're not even being who you truly are because you're doing something to try and fit in you're changing yourself you're not going to feel connected or belong or like you belong but if you come away from that dinner and go you know I was totally myself there I did everything that was right for me in line with my values I showed up how I wanted to show up and I showed up as myself and we had the best time then you're going to feel connected that's got nothing to do with what's on your dinner plate so I think you're equating that belonging to something that's actually got nothing to do with your belonging whatsoever, which again, super normal. We blame food for everything. It's one of the reasons why we do the work that we do. If it's not our food's fault, then it's our body's fault. Okay, sixth question. I have massive problems when it comes to decision-making, the big things and the small things, from life choices to restaurant menus. Any thoughts on how to make decisions less stressful? I'm going to leave that one to the pros. <laughs> I was like, oh, really? No. Um, I mean, I, for me, have linked it to being a perfectionist and not wanting to, uh, perfectionist and people pleaser. So putting other people before myself, even if it means that I don't actually want to do it. Um, and equally worried that you'll make the wrong choice and well let's be honest it'll just ruin everything so <laughs> but um for I think the phrase that we all love the most you have to lean into the discomfort and sometimes we just have to make decisions and obviously I'm not going to say like big life decisions for this but flip a coin that's that's what I've started doing because it just takes the pressure away from me and Sometimes it means that you realise what you do really want when you don't get the result that you really hoped for, but you just hadn't realised because you were too caught up worrying. Mm. There's a there's a famous quote which I am going to completely murder right now. So I'm <laughs> going to just talk around the quote, but it's Obama, and he said, you know, I I learned very quickly as president that. I could only ever be 51% sure and 51% sure had to be enough. And when he, I think he was talking about um, the Iraq war and he said, I'm never going to be 100% sure when I'm talking about the Iraq war. So when I got to the point where I was like, I'm 51% sure, then I knew that I had to make that decision. And I think that's something that's super important. We have to get comfortable with 
we're probably never going to be sure about anything. All we can say is say, I'm leaning towards this or I've got a gut feeling for this or the evidence that I have suggests that I should make this decision and then just doing it and thinking, like, who cares if you fail? Getting comfortable with failure is something that um, Emma and I have been discussing a lot recently, but reframing failure as a necessary part of your life, as a necessary part of growth, as a necessary part to get of like pathway to get to where you want to be. You're going to have to fail sometimes. There's no way about it unless you want to sit in your room and achieve nothing and do nothing and experience nothing. If that's your goal, then great, do that. But we have to get comfortable with the fact that we are going to fail and we're going to fail regularly. We're going to make bad decisions, some of us more than others. It just happens. But do you know what? You live and you learn. If it's a big decision, so like a really major life decision, I know that I've been in these situations before and Untamed actually was my Bible when I was at a point where I was like, I need to make this really big decision. And I remember journaling on it and I've got it all highlighted in my journal, which I never do because I never go back on my journal, but I knew this was a decision that I would have points where I felt felt like I regretted it. I knew that. And so I could anticipate it coming. So at the time I was writing down everything. I was like, this is how I feel right now. This is the logic that I'm working through. And Glennon Doyle talks about your inner knowing and trusting that inner knowing and for me there's no way of knowing what your inner knowing is if you're living by everyone else's rules and everyone else's comments and decisions and opinions and diet culture and all these things part of the work we do is we say this a lot is like you're coming back to yourself so you can hear yourself so slowing down doing lots of yoga and meditation and really like trying to get in touch with that inner knowing by doing journaling and and thinking about the stories that you're telling yourself in your head if you make a decision that feels right to you at the time which again it's not going to ever probably feel 100% right you may well regret it but at that time if that was the right decision for you you have to get comfortable with that and again that's one way that I look at regret of like maybe now would I make a different decision maybe but that is kind of coming into that premise of when you know better do better right so Maya Angelou says that when you know better do better but that's important but you in order to go live by that rule you have to then accept that at the time when you make a decision you didn't know better you did the best that you could and kind of being comfortable with knowing that because your opinion is going to change all the time you're going to mature you're going to change your values are going to change and it'd be easy for me to say well, now I'm in this situation. I wish that I did that five years ago. Like, what help is that going to do? And also the other thing is my tattoo on my arm of the tree of life of this analogy from Matt Haig, where this is in the Midnight Library. And if you if you worry about regrets and stuff, then definitely listen to or read the Midnight Library. I recommend listening to it because it's really long, <laughs> giant. Oh, I, I read it and I just remember like, <laughs> I was on a plane to Dubai, like crying. <laughs> like, oh God it's so good isn't it it's so good I know it was free on audible for a while I don't know if it still is but the the analogy of the tree of life on that is it's very easy to think that if you make a decision so say for example let's talk about a breakup right a a metaphorical breakup it's not real life situation right and you're like um okay well I've made a decision to um break up with that person and then a year down the line, you, you think, oh, if only I didn't break up with that person, I feel really like that was a mistake. 
my life would look exactly the same now but I'd have that person in my life and it's like no when you make one decision you branch off from your life the way that it is and then the next decision branches you off in a completely different direction your life would not look exactly the same but with one that one decision changed your life would look completely different if you made a different decision so regret is useless because every decision spirals off into something else and the other thing was I was listening to a podcast this morning I'm off off on one but I was listening to a podcast this morning and they were talking about um like decision making and stuff like that and um they were saying how it was this reminder of you think that you're not making a decision when like say again say you're in a crap relationship and you go I'm not going to make the decision to um leave I can't I can't decide what to do every day you decide not to make a decision is you making a decision that you're choosing to stay in that shit relationship not making a decision is making a decision and I think when you recognize that so even if it's something small where you're like oh I can't decide what to have on the menu the longer you're not deciding the longer you're deciding to set in indecision like everything is a choice and everything is a decision so I think recognizing that recognizing that a decision not to break up with someone is a decision to stay with someone how is that going to feel in the year if you've not made that decision um because you're going to be in the same situation I went off on one but I think there's a lot of overthinking people that we work with and we are obviously all no. <laughs> so I think it's important <laughs> um whose question is it Anna's question mm. yeah it is um any suggestions? I'm, I'm just laughing because I know Amelia's not the person to ask. <laughs> Any suggestions on core work as I move away from solely training abs for aesthetics? Yeah, I'm not the person to ask. I can't do it because I get core gasms every time I do rollouts or anything. What was the second half of the question? Sorry, Anna. So suggestions on core work, moving away from solely training abs for aesthetics. Okay, so it's, well, it's okay. reframing as well. Okay, so I'm assuming this person resistance trains. Yeah. Yeah, so all your big lifts, you'll be engaging your core. Listen, so, yeah. yeah. Do, do leg raises if you want. Do rollouts if you want. Do like some Pilates style core work. I know that Anna is great at Pilates, the Pilates realm. Um. I like including all of that stuff, but like I said, I don't include rollouts or things like that because I can't do them in public spaces. Um, but I think I think they're important, and I think that they're they're a nice way to bring your sympathetic nervous system dominant down after a session. Like I think they're nice to include, but I, I think people definitely over hype it. Do you remember when in the competing days, Anna, where people would always think they need to do more and more core work and actually like they would do tons of weighted abs to try and get abs and it's like couldn't do core work no wasn't wasn't allowed bikini girls can't have a thick waist what are you want about yeah but but so that's i i didn't ever do i did abs until i started training for bikini and then never trained abs again um because of that and but but logically like the logic is there in that your abs are a muscle and if you want blocky abs then you will have to resistance train them in that way to build blocky abs you will have to overload them and add resistance to them 
but for most people that's not really what necessarily they think that they, that they want when it comes to like the logistics of it and it is literally just about more not body weight stuff but more pilates style movements i think as well you need to think about why why core work i mean like like lynn said you'll be working your core in all of your big compound lifts and like, i really enjoy doing like well, i say don't tell dan but i really enjoy doing like some of the like half kneeling exercises as well where you're having to use all the stabilizer stuff as well because it's it's still working your core um but reframing it in the sense that obviously your core is like your trunk you are you're not just doing it for aesthetics and then the way your body looks or trying to change the shape of that you're you're building for for strength for stability for balance your posture as well agree uh, len question uh why mindful eating doesn't come naturally why do i seek a tv show and why do we like eating as we are watching tv great question I have had it so many times this week with people that are very like in the first couple of weeks of, of their cringe journey, <laughs> but in working together because we are just, well, part of its habit, right? We, we sit down in the, uh, to watch TV and it kind of, we tend to be short of time. So we might as well eat and catch up with our table favorite tv program um so actually sitting down and paying attention to your food and potentially having to notice those thoughts and feelings that come up as well that really feels pretty uncomfortable so it's perfectly normal um, again should have been on the podcast a few weeks ago like it's perfectly normal to be struggling with this because you're building a, a new habit and a new way of thinking about about food and bringing that focus to how you're feeling as well I remember I had a client once actually and she struggled with this so much she really couldn't do mindfully eat because she really couldn't sit with her thoughts um, I mean she could but she felt like she couldn't and we had like you know we were introducing things like we're going to do one minute of journaling before you have your dinner and like really slowly reintroducing like just the ability to sit with her thoughts because it was just too much for her to sit with um so like it's super common i think sometimes like some, sometimes it is that lack of like we're crap at doing quote unquote nothing we are crap at not having our brain focused on something as a whole we're crap at slowing down we are in a society that glorifies achievement doing all the time and eating sitting down to have a meal is an inconvenience it's not if you're mindful and you enjoy it and you treat it as like a gift of time to sit and be present like the Mediterranean. So there's a reason, obviously the Mediterranean diet has got a lot of research behind it in terms of being a really healthy diet. Um, but also the way that the culture of eating in, in these countries is really healthful of slowly eating and, and socializing and connection and connecting and appreciating your food. There's a lot of healthful benefits to that. But we, in our westernized ways just kind of think not that the Mediterranean is not western um we think that we have to just constantly be doing something all the time and with the stories we tell ourselves that oh we're just too busy I have to eat at my desk I'm just too busy and it's like do you know what that 10 minutes that you spent eating your sandwich whilst you were working at your desk 
your productivity was crap anyway and actually then you spent 20 minutes doing one job that you could have spent 10 minutes doing and then the other 10 minutes eating but we lie to ourselves and we say oh I'm just too busy to do it um I mean certainly there are situations where you are too busy to sit down and have a meal and that's totally understandable but yeah it's just we've been brought up often and especially if your family brought you up to eat in front of the tv or like not be super mindful with your food which a lot of families do um because we don't know any different I think that's just a habit that needs to be broken. Okay, let's stop there. Thanks everyone for your questions. Keep them coming in as usual. Thanks, Anna. Thanks, Lynn. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. And as always, if you did, please do feel free to like, share, subscribe, and review. And if you would like to chat to me, then you can find details of my Instagram in the show notes.